Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. We all crave and desire the same thing. We all want comfort. We all want ease. We all want to be loved. We all want to have security. Those things are common across every culture, every people group. We all want those things. And in and of themselves, they're not bad. But when they become the thing that dominates our life and all of our life is seeking to gain those things so that we can have them, we have to really examine our heart. You know, so that it doesn't become out of balance. You understand what I'm saying? We can get out of balance. We live in a in a world where of extremes. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Truth in Christ. Today, Pastor Rob continues our study in James chapter 5. Once again, James challenges us with everyday issues that we may be confronted with. This time, it is riches and how it can corrupt. Pastor Rob teaches us that most of what James is pointing to are earthly matters that can get in the way of our dedication to Jesus Christ. He tells us that as sinners, we may be tempted to be drawn to an obsession to any of these worldly materials, but we as Christians must find a balance in what we desire. Our desire should first point to God and His will for our lives. He will then, through Jesus Christ, direct our steps. Here's Pastor Rob with this important lesson. In James, in, 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 this, in this book, he had three things to say at different times throughout the book that we've been looking at. In the first chapter, in verse 10, he said, uh, James commends the wealthy for their humility. That even if you are born again and you're wealthy, you know, the, the humble person, he commends the, the humble person. In James chapter 2, he condemns the believers for their preferential treatment toward the rich how we tend to look at somebody when they come in, and if we know they're rich, we, we tend to put them in the front and speak to them differently. We tend to act to them, uh, act toward them differently. And finally, in this last chapter in James, he condemns those who are wealthy and oppressive. So I don't believe we're really speaking of believers here. So let's get right into it. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And when you think of when James wrote this letter, it wasn't long after this letter was written that the fall of Jerusalem occurred in 70 A.D. And when you think of those who he might be addressing, it could be those men back in Jerusalem or in Jerusalem that had crucified Jesus Christ, those wealthy men, those wealthy religious leaders who were more concerned about their wealth than they were concerned about righteousness. And that's always a thing for us today to be careful of. But you know, there is never a peace or joy when money or riches are obtained uh, by dishonesty or wrongdoing. But alternately, there's a great joy when you're providing for yourself and for your family by honest means. You can sleep at night 
and enjoy the blessings of God. There's nothing greater than working really hard. And you know this, man. For if you've worked a really hard day, you've, you're mentally and physically you're spent, and then you come home and you sit down on your couch, and you, your wife makes you a meal, and you sit down at the dinner table with your family. There's no greater joy than to know that you've put in a good day's work, and then you and then you you rest for the fruit of your labors. Right? Is that true? We enjoy that, and it, it's a blessing from the Lord. The Lord exhorts us not to be lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Verse 2, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. You know, wealth is fleeting, isn't it? It just goes through some people's hands like it was never there. It's fleeting. And why do we put our trust in it then? Yet we do it because we crave the ease and the comfort that money can bring. We do. In World War One which lasted from 1914 to 1918, a five-year period. There was a period right after World War I that they called the Roaring Twenties. And if you remember in history, it was a time of great affluence. Everybody in America was doing really well, and it was just a boom, and and housing was going up. Everything Everything was becoming really easy until the Wall Street stock market crashed on 1929. It started on October 24th. It was a Thursday. They called it Black Thursday. And it lasted, uh, this crash, for uh, about five days. And it ended on October 29th, which, which they called Black Tuesday. And on that Tuesday alone, $14 billion was lost. And over that five-day period, a total of $30 billion went down the tubes. And as a result of that, because people had their hopes and their aspirations and money, many people, as a result of that, were jumping out of buildings in New York City. They were jumping out of buildings because all of their hope, all of their life was wrapped up in their money. It was all wrapped up in their money. In verse 3 it says, Your gold and your silver are corroded, literally cankered, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. You know, I'll be honest with you, this has been a really hard book because it seems like James is just, there are several blows to us in this book, in this small little letter. Each one of them, as we've been going through it, it hasn't been easy. Has it been easy for you? It hasn't been easy for me either because it confronts everything. It's so condensed too, but it confronts everything that we struggle with because we are no different than anybody else. We tend to think that the patriarchs, the people from the past, were different than we are, but we're not. We're the same. We all crave and desire the same thing. We all want comfort. We all want ease. We all want to be loved. We all want to have security. Those things are common across every culture, every people group. We all want those things. And in and of themselves, they're not bad. But when they become the thing that dominates our life and all of our life is seeking to gain those things so that we can have them, we have to really examine our heart. You know, so it doesn't become out of balance. You understand what I'm saying. We can get out of balance. We live in a, in a world where, of extremes. I tend to have that kind of uh, personality. Uh, before I came to the Lord, I was, I was either really this way or really this way. And uh, I, li- I, was, I, I still struggle sometimes with extremes because I can go to those extremes. I can either, you know be totally consumed by something or don't, I don't care at all or I can, I think you understand. But in that verse it says, 
wealth can be a great poison. The word um, corrosion in that verse literally means poison. Wealth can be, can be a poison to us, not for everyone, but it can be. Because with money, you can manipulate people. Have you been, been manipulated by uh, somebody who's wealthy? You can skew judges and other influential people. You can get what you want when you want it. And your silence, if you witness something that's bad, a crime, your silence can be purchased. And the memory of what someone has been a witness to can suddenly disappear when cash is placed on their palm. And it's been said that many people have a price. Many people have a price. I would like to think that, you know, all of us as a child of God, there's no price. What would you give in exchange for your own soul? I saw that there's a man down on Five Mile Line, or on, on Browncroft here. As we go down on the right-hand side, he's, got a, he's a Christian. He's got this thing. He says, what will man give for ex- in exchange for his own soul? And it's such a good message. And it's a hard one, too. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says this. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which draw men in destruction and perdition. Notice, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the money itself. We often quote it wrong. We say money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, the men of James' day, these men he's talking to, they were guilty of covetousness and unfairness. Their faith was in their accumulation of wealth. In Second Kings, there was a young man who was Elisha's servant, in Second Kings chapter 5, and we're going to skip over a few of these verses that you see here on the screen. But, but you remember that Naaman, one of uh, Syria's, uh, the king of Syria had a general whose name was Naaman, and he came down with leprosy. And someone told him, hey, you go to Elisha, this prophet in Judah, and he will um, pray the Lord, and perhaps you'll be healed. And so he does. He comes down, and Elijah doesn't even say anything to him. He just says, or he says one thing. He says, just go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. See ya. <laughs> and he walks away, and the general's like, I come all this way with all this money to give to you, and you tell me to just go in, dip myself seven times in the Jordan. He goes, we got better rivers back in Syria. And finally, one of his guys says, hey, wouldn't you have done a lot more if he would have asked you, if you really thought it would heal you? And then finally he does it. So as he's leaving, he wants to bestow wealth upon Elisha. And Elisha says, you know what? God is the one who healed you. You can keep it. But Gehazi, it says, uh, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, he said, look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and of course, this was unbeknownst to Elisha. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. He said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please, take two talents. He was ready to give a lot more. Take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in his bags and two changes of of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And so... You know, here was this servant of Elisha who still had this root of greed in his heart. 
And Elisha, when he sees him, after he kind of hid the stuff, and Elisha says, uh, what'd you do, Gehazi? Well, nothing. No. And he calls him on it. You know, and, and at that point, Gehazi develops leprosy. And we, we know leprosy is just, it's, it's just sin. It's, it's on the outside. Everything that was going on inside of him, this greed, this lust for things, came out in that moment, and God allowed him to have leprosy as a result of it. But I love Paul, what he says in Philippians. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. He says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And that's a good thing to learn. Something I'm learning to, in whatever state I am to be content. He said in verse 12 in Philippians 4, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. How to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That sounds like a man who is completely free from his circumstances. Because often my circumstances dictate my feelings and how I think. And I don't know about you, but do you, do you ever feel like you're just being clubbed over the head by it sometimes? About your, 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 your want of those things? And again, it's not bad to desire to have a home, to have a roof over your head, to have clothes on your body, to have food in your stomach. There's nothing wrong with those things. We know that. But it's when we have the excessive desire, we'll do anything to get it. We'll do anything to get it. So where is your heart? Where's my heart in all of this? You know, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither man nor moth, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's really where our heart is. Some of us, hopefully none of us, but I'll be honest before you that sometimes my treasure is, is, is things, you know, and, and I have to always bring my heart into subjection to this verse. Where really is my treasure? Is this really the important thing to me? You know, everyone who is on their deathbed, every wealthy man who has built an empire on his deathbed, and he's had anything to say before he passed on, none of them have said, boy, I wish I could have just obtained more wealth. Wish I could have just, you know, been up higher on the list of the America's most wealthy person. I wanted to be number one. I was only number two. Man, I just wanted it so bad. No one does that when they're on their deathbed. They're like, I wish I would have spent more time with those who I loved. I wish I would have said I love you to my son who I haven't seen in 20 years. I wish I would have taken my daughter to the dance she begged me to take her to the dance, but I was too busy in my job. My son, who was in Cub Scouts, wanted me to, to, to go with him on a camping trip, but I couldn't do it. And the regrets and the remorse and the sorrow. And see, God has a much better plan for us. And how will you respond to those things? In fact, take an inventory of everything you have and say, Lord, how is my heart toward those things? And change me, Lord. It doesn't mean that you have to give everything away. He told the rich young ruler, you, you know, he says, Lord, Master, what must I do to, to obtain a, inherit an eternal life? And Jesus put the finger on the one thing that was the thing that was really about him. He says, take all your possessions, sell them, and give to the poor and follow me. And then you know the rich man walked away. But he hit the nerve. He hit the nerve. He was able just to put his finger right on the heart of the thing. 
And what is that point in your heart this morning? Is there a point? And if there is, you know, you can quietly go before him. He's not ashamed. You don't, you don't have to be ashamed. God loves you exactly where you're at. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. He cares nothing of those things. It's our attitude toward him and toward those things. There was a license plate one time I heard. I saw a license plate on a really nice truck. Really nice truck. I mean, this thing had a satellite dish on it and everything. And it says, on the bumper sticker, it says, He who dies with the most toys wins. You ever see that? And, and obviously this guy was a construction worker or something, and he was making a lot of money, and he had all the toys. The jet skis, the snowmobiles, you name it, the house by the lake, all this stuff. He who dies with the most toy wins. He had no idea that he can't take any of that with him. But it's idolatry. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, you can see it up on the screen. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication and uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Isn't it true that the more you have, the more you have to keep up and maintain? The more things you have. Do you ever get to the point where you've, 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 you've got these things and you've got to maintain them? If you've got this vehicle, if you've got that vehicle, if you've got this, you've got that, pretty soon you've got to maintain them. You need time to maintain them, but you're so busy working, you don't have time to maintain them. So you can't even take care of what you have, but you've got to have it. And then you sell it for half price in a yard sale. You know, recently we had that Powerball, the $1.6 billion. You know, you think about all the poor people, and even... Others spending money on these tickets, spending all they have, some of these poor folks. And, and, and again, the poor can be covetous. It's not just the rich. They, they can have their heart so set on it, they must have it. And they'll do anything to get it. And yet, what, would hap- what happens to most people who get those big purses? You look at the statistics. It's overwhelmingly most of them either have fallen into drug abuse and alcoholism. Some have even died, or they're penniless now because they had no way of managing it. And they're giving everything away, and everyone is taking stuff from them, playing on their guilt and their family ties. The next thing you know, they're penniless, and now they're completely broke. And now they owe taxes on all that money, and they, they can't pay them. I've never met a, a happy person who has had that kind of unexpected wealth. So First Timothy, he tells us in chapter 6, it's a good command. He says, command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly to all things to enjoy. Notice, God wants to give you richly all things to enjoy, but you enjoy them. You enjoy them. But stay away from uncertain riches. And it says, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works and ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. What are uncertain riches? Lotteries, family inheritances, the rumor of a company bonus, spending money based on what you have in your credit card and just knowing that you can get another one with another balance and roll that over. Or perhaps you get some kind of windfall or, you, or you're, uh, the rumor of a windfall and then you bet against that. And now you're buying stuff that you don't even have the money yet in your hands and yet you're putting it on the credit card saying, well, I can pay for this next week. Have you ever done that? Guilty. <laughs> because when I first came to the Lord, I had all these, I had a really bad way with money until I met my wife. 
she's really good with money. I was really lousy with money. And I learned so much through her, through the Holy Spirit in her, teaching me. And now I'm very, I'm very different than the way I used to be. But I used to do that because I know that firsthand because there was covetousness in my heart. There was greed in my heart. Whatever I wanted, I just wanted to get it. And many young people in colleges right now are giving credit cards in their, in their mailbox. When they first get to college, I had five or six offers for credit cards. And I filled them all out. So we have to be careful. In Proverbs chapter 24, 23, verse 4 and 5, it says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away like eagles toward heaven. And it's, it's totally true. In verse 4, he says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, which the Lord of hosts. And this idea of, of, of kept back literally means, in the original language, that they're never going to get those salaries. They're never going to get that wage that they, that they had done. And there were people who did this. And here we have a turn in, 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 the, in the verses we're looking at now, because now it's speaking of um, employees or employers and their attitude toward employees. In Proverbs 3, verse 27, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Have you ever done that before? For some reason, you just you didn't feel in the mood to, to give something, something to someone that you told them that you were going to give it to them? And for whatever reason, you're like, well, I'll, I'll, we'll talk tomorrow. <laughs> you ever done that? I've done that. And the Lord says, you have it right here. Why don't you just give it to them? Well, I, don't, I don't feel like doing it today because I don't want to deal with it right now. And yet they have a need. So there's a great responsibility for those who are business owners to do what is right to your employers, employees. In Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you own a business, how are you treating your employees? Are you treating them fairly? Are you treating them kindly? Are you holding them accountable? It's okay to hold somebody accountable. That's love. I love accountability in my life. And my wife has been a great accountability partner in my life and everything. And I'm so thankful, Lord, you know, to the Lord for her, for just how she is, you know, the Lord has used her to change me in so many ways. We are very opposites. And that ver that saying opposites attract, we were polar ends of each other. I was the spontaneous spinthrift, and she was the thoughtful, careful, saving for a rainy day, that kind of person. And I was like, hey, eat and drink, tomorrow we die. You know, and, um, and the Lord, through the two of us, he's making one really good person. You know, Actually, she was great before I met her. I'm just a liability to the whole thing. So... Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, we're skipping over one here. It says, You shall not oppress, God speaking to Moses, he says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and he has set his heart on it, unless he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. That's a pretty uh, encouraging thought, isn't it? Verse 5, he says, You have lived on the earth in pleasure 
and in luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You know, when you think about this... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of James. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format, free of charge, from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until this same time tomorrow, This has been Truth in Christ.